Hello and welcome to this episode of the Star Wars Universe podcast. It's Matthew, your host. I am back. Aaron and Danielle were kind enough to take the podcast out for a spin. They did a great episode. They returned it without a scratch. And now it'll be myself and back from the podcasting hibernation, torpor, torpor is probably a better word, Paul Hoppy is joining me to discuss The Bad Batch and all things episode 10. All that and more after a commercial break. We have no control over I think carbon freeze. Oh, carbon freeze. That's where she's gone from. Except you're in California. I'm in Minnesota where I had to drive through somewhat of a snowstorm to get home late last night. And now we're getting ready for, well, let's put it this way. The sky is pretty clear right now. And DoorDash has stopped doing any deliveries because that's how bad we're supposed to get a like snow and windstorm of historic proportions. So you being in frozen carbonite in Nevada where you are right now. Um, yeah, okay. We've updated that. Very good. It right. snowed here, and it's gusting wind up to 70 miles an hour. So just okay. thought I'd toss wi- that out there. <clears throat> the winds I'll take seriously. Your snow, um, no, I'm, I'm, I'm looking askance at that. It snowed in Las Vegas. That's that's not, I mean, yes, it's not Minnesota okay. snow. Uh, all right. A- anyway, back to a commercial break, which if the algorithm works properly, should, should now be for Las Vegas or skiing. All that and more. Right after this. Welcome back. I'm Matthew, your host. I'm joined, as I said, by Mr. Paul Hoppy. Paul, uh, the carbon uh, freeze has worn off. Hopefully the hibernation sickness is off. You can see again. It's not just a big blur. Uh, how are we doing? Yeah, I mean, it's more of a big light blur than a big dark blur. But okay. I... Uh, I actually watched The Bad Batch, 10 episodes, um, and that's really the first new thing I've watched all year. Yeah, so this is kind of a fun story, folks, and this was not intended, although it worked out for me quite well. Um, As I said, I was gone all last week. I was at a Magic the Gathering event in Philadelphia, and so Danielle and Aaron stepped in to record on the episode. They did a phenomenal job. I'm really glad they were able to do that. Uh, more uh, Aaron hosting will probably happen down the road. And as part of that, not only was I not able to record, but I was not going to be able to produce the video. I just didn't have good internet where I was. So Paul stepped in, which meant that Paul had to watch all eight episodes or nine episodes up till then to get caught up and not get spoiled. And so I was able to say to them, hey, Aaron's going to be gone this week. Do you want to, you know, watch just one more episode since you're kind of caught up for maybe the only time this year? Uh, Paul is happy enough to jump in. So Paul, let me just kind of start right there. What's kind of your overall feelings on the show so so far yeah it took uh a little bit to get into it it feels very um it feels like it matches up with last season but has a nice sort of step forward right so Mm -hmm. i appreciate that um i'd say the episodes that i enjoyed the most were the sort of like pre-bellion episodes Mm mm-hmm Right with um, with Echo and and before Echo there also right right um, I think they're doing a really interesting thing with I, I was asking you before watching it like is it episodic or mm-hmm. is it more of like one through line and it it certainly is episodic in in a way that I think is pretty cool I like that there's been um, there's one or two basically just crosshair episodes right mm-hmm. and then there were there was another episode that really didn't have the bad batch and I think when you do that regularly it works really well 
Yeah. Uh, I remember when Book of Boba Fett was going on and there was just like Mandalorian season 2.5 episode kind of stuck in there. Mm-hmm. To me, it felt like because that sort of thing hadn't really been introduced yet in in these this like series of shows, it didn't work as well for me. But I think yeah. if there was another season of Book of Boba Fett and they did something like that again, or they have like an episode of Boba Fett in The Mandalorian – that will feel more natural. Like, okay, we're doing this. This is how we're doing this. I get it. Also for me, like not watching it week to week, I wasn't like, oh, but where's the Bad Batch? You know, it's just like, oh, that's just this episode. Okay, now I'll watch the next episode exactly when I feel like it. So again, that just takes me back to, you know, watching all these episodes kind of in a row feels very different than, you know, just the episode of the week. Even though they are episodic, and so it actually probably is more appropriate for this, like, once-a-week format than Mm -hmm. um, a lot of other shows might be. I think you're right. I think there's been a lot of discussions about this idea of, like, serialized storytelling versus episodic and, and claims of, like, you know, is an episode filler or something like this. And I think in a lot of ways, this show has really reminded me that as much as I do like serialized storytelling, where every episode leads directly into the next, and it really is like chapter four, chapter five, chapter six, going in a direct, you know, a firm direction, I think there's a place for that. Like Andor was phenomenal for that. But I also think that there's something to be said for, let's just create a situation of interesting people who are doing interesting things. And as they're doing those things, you're going to learn more, not just about them, but about the world around them and just let that go. And I think there are some episodes in this show that you could watch out of order and be just fine. And I think that's okay. Because like you said, I I think you're right that not only did it feel weird for those reasons, but also because like there was an ongoing plot in Book of Boba Fett. And so I loved the Mandalorian stuff, but part of me was also like, okay, but what's happening back on Tatooine? Whereas here, like, I think there is definitely an ongoing plot in terms of this move to, you know, shift the Empire's military away from clones, the ongoing stories of who is Omega and what is her story, the questions about Crosshair and what will happen with him. But in some ways, there it, it it's funny. I just uh, mentioned that I was... Uh, it's funny. I, I mentioned this before. No one else caught up on it because I think you and I are two of the only people who still remember this show. Uh, but Burn Notice, we've often talked about, is it had this wonderful balance of there was an uber plot for the season, but mostly it was week to week, like Michael doing things. And this is even less of that because it's not like every episode advances the, the overarching plot, but it's advancing the characters. And I, I just find I'm loving seeing these characters develop, but also just seeing much more about the world. You know, and like in this most recent episode, we got to learn much more about like, yeah, a lot of people care about the Empire and are wanting to fight the Empire. But then also there's just all these other groups out there doing their own thing. And and like earlier episodes, we got to learn more about the Empire, more about the early seeds of the rebellion. And I'm just loving all that. Yeah, I, I feel like there is a very clear through line in terms of character development uh-huh. and then also galaxy development yep right like like everything you're saying and and also um to me this season feels like a lot of it's about the bad batch figuring out what their place in the galaxy yeah. is now that it's no longer what it was, right? Season yeah. one was them kind of just dealing with the fact that they were no longer doing what they had been doing. Season two feels like it's 
dealing more with like, okay, but, but now what? Now that right. we're not like just kind of just trying to survive and, and, um, just kind of see what's in front of us. Right. Yeah. But, but it's not like every episode deals with that in a large way that to me is this kind of like nice undercurrent as mm-hmm. opposed to being like right in your face all the time. And I, I agree that. Most of the episodes or pairs of episodes sometimes could be taken largely on their own if you want, but also there's something else that can be enjoyed that goes through them. And I just always appreciate that in storytelling. Yeah, I think so. And I think one of the things that we've really been getting, and and this will kind of tie into some thoughts on the last episode, kind of building on everything Danielle and Aaron said, and then hear your thoughts on that, and then we can go to this week's episode. I really love also how much time it's giving us for character development. Because we're spending so much, and and also that in season one, and even to some extent in the Bad Batch episodes in Clone Wars, I enjoyed the whole team, but it felt like Hunter and Crosshair were well-developed characters, and the others were kind of like, you know how like in a lot of like MCU or DC movies, you get one or two developed characters, and then you get some others who are kind of like a one-sentence description, and they do the one-sentence description, you know, like they've, they're the funny guy who makes comments about food, or they're the person who, like, is always going to be a little bit sad and depressed about what's happening. And, like, Wrecker and Echo and Tech had felt a little bit like that to me in season one, and I still, we're getting some of Hunter, we're getting some of Wrecker, but I love that we're getting a lot more of Echo and Tech uh, in this season, and I'll kind of... St- and I just love that we're getting a lot more of uh, Wrecker and Tech and seeing all these different relationships with Omega and, and from all these. And it's not just Hunter and Crosshair so much. Yeah. And I mean, I think you could have removed MCU or DC from that statement and just like movies and a lot of movies and a yeah. lot of TV shows. Right. There's a few characters that are going to be developed. And then there's a lot of characters that it's like the one thing you know to need to know about this person and, yeah. you know, this is the funny one. This is the strong one. You know, this yeah. is the tech one. This is the one who likes to wreck stuff, you know. And yeah. I, I totally agree that we are getting a lot more, um, you know, development of the – I don't even know if they're secondary characters because they're also title characters. But, right. you know, they're they're certainly secondary in the in the team's kind of uh, hierarchy, right? right. And – and especially tech. I feel like Wrecker, we got a little bit more of that in the first season than mm-hmm. with tech, right? But I mean, with him and his chip, I think that's right, yeah. Yeah, and and here I think the um, – really it was the last episode that, that did the most in that regard yeah. with, you know, having – giving tech and Omega some time and, and letting tech mm-hmm. really kind of uh, talk about himself in a way that he, he doesn't. Yeah. Usually. Right. And then then that carried through nicely to this episode where it wasn't in the forefront, but like right at the right at the end and kind of like the denouma, like they let tech be like, but there's others like us in the galaxy, you know, and and saying things like, you know, the the way that Mako is doing things here is is kind of like what the Empire is doing, but on a smaller scale. And, yeah, you know, so um they they really did, I think, deliver a lot on what was set up in this kind of quieter episode two, where they spend a lot of time really alone. There there aren't 
there aren't really antagonists that they're directly facing, right? Mm-hmm. There, it's it's them against nature, basically against the physical situation. And here, they're they're actually against other people. But um, so there's maybe a little less of kind of what's going on inside. But it but it plays out in actions, um, really. In I don't know if we do a summary or whatever, but there's uh, there's like one moment right near the end that I think actually really delivers well on on kind of their relationships with each other. Definitely, definitely. We will do that. I just want to talk about the, the moments from last episode a little bit because mm-hmm. one thing I was really struck by, and Aaron and Danielle talked about this some, but I want to kind of just take it a little further, is that I, I was really struck by a thing that I think happens in our own world all the time, which is when a person comes into a situation and if the entire time that they're in the situation, it has been one way. The assumption is that that's how it has always been and therefore always should be. Right. And this is everything from like, you know, just you go to your favorite restaurant and you go there for three years and their menu hasn't changed and then it does change. And you're like, oh, my God, what happened? Because you don't know that every three years things change, you know, or your country has been exactly like it, it could be on like national political, but sure. it could be like, oh, hey, I just met this person. They were the same way for these six months and now they're changing. But really, they've always been kind of a changing person. And, and what I'm getting there there is the, to me, the d- discussion between Omega and tech about how they feel about the Bad Batch changing and the Bad Batch evolving, and in this case, specifically Echo leaving. Because for me, what it really highlighted is for Omega, the Bad Batch has been basically the same since she started. She came in just about the time Crosshair was leaving. She had a little connection with him and she kind of wanted him to stay. But most of her experience with them has been with them being without Crosshair, with them being with Echo, and with them living on the ship. All of which are, in terms of the overall story of the Bad Batch, fairly new developments. You know, whereas you look at someone like for Tech, Tech's experience of the Bad Batch has had much more change in it. They were living on Camino. Now they're living on the ship. They were with uh, Crosshair for a long time. Now they're not. They weren't with Echo for a long time. Now they are. As well as the fact of just, to me, I think something we saw a lot in the Clone Wars is that, and I think this is true. I mean, every military person I've ever spoken with has said this. A thing you know if you're part of a small military group in the in in a wartime is the chances of that same group staying together for the entire war are incredibly small. A because members can like be killed or can be injured because you might get a different commanding officer or because one of you might be assigned to a different unit. And we know that the Bad Batch mostly like stayed with themselves, but like they did fight alongside other clones sometimes, and some of those would die, or they might have a Jedi they worked with or mostly not work with. So anyway, this is all kind of a long rambling way of saying that, like, I just thought it was really well that they illustrated this idea that um, for Omega, the Bad Batch basically the Bad Batch started when she met them and has been fairly constant. They've lived on the ship. Crosshair mostly hasn't been with them. Echo mostly has. But that for Tech, he hasn't been able to, like, get used to the idea of this is how it's always been because he's been having much more change and much more. And as you said, he has a beautiful way of saying, like, I do feel sad about it. I just don't express it the same way. But I also just got this strong sense and feeling of he never had that sense of consistency that she has because he's been part of it for far longer. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because we kind of 
in a way have the same perspective Omega has, but maybe different where, Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm sure that sentence might not make a lot of sense until I explain (laughs) it, but basically as far as we know, the bad batch was the four of them, right? right? Crosshair, Hunter, Wrecker, and tech. And right when we meet them, they then uh, get Echo joining the group. Right. Right. Um, I think it always was just the four of them to begin with. I think that's true. Yeah. Like, I don't think they had members who died earlier. Right. Like, there weren't six of them, and then then there were four, and then five, right. and then – but um, but I don't think we know that for certain, but that's, that's kind of how we see it, right? But yeah. we know that season one of The Bad Batch, Echo being part of the team for – some period of time, which seems like it really wasn't much time if you think about it, because when he joined them, that was like kind of just before everything ended, right? Yeah, like um, I think they've been together maybe like of the three years of the war, maybe they were together for like the last three months or so. And then they've now been and then Echo was with them for about a year or so afterwards before he left. But yeah, they, they've been together for three years before then, as well as just all the time they were growing up together. Right, exactly. So so adding Echo was this – that was the first big change. And then yeah. not too long after that, then Omega joins and Crosshair leaves. So that's like right. a lot of change in a pretty short period of time. Uh, but Omega, it's like they're already – you know, there's, there's five of them now and it's her replacing Crosshair essentially. Right. So then Echo leaving, you know, for, for, for Tech, it's like – well, Echo was only with us for a while, right? Yeah. Like we had years before he was part of the team. Um, I could see if they went even a little deeper on that, Omega being like, oh, so I'm actually even newer than Echo. So I'm even easier to just say goodbye to and like feel feel like yeah. less of the team to you, right? Um, which which but- I think that's a great point. I think that is probably on some like low – I, I think that's a great point. I think on some level that is part of her concern about it of like, why are you not bothered that Echo is leaving? Does that mean you wouldn't be bothered if I left? Right. Exactly. Um, and he's basically like, it's not like I'm bothered, not bothered or like it doesn't affect me emotionally. It's just, you know, I accept it. And yeah. so I, I I move forward because that's, right. you know, that's the only only direction yeah. <laughs> that time goes <laughs> unless you're, you know, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> There has not been time travel in Star Wars except for one small thing in a world between worlds, and we're not going to get more of it, and we're <laughs> right. done. Yeah. Move on. <laughs> um, okay, yeah. So, so, and the fact that, like, one of the things they're upset by also is losing the ship, which, again, I said, yeah. for Omega, that's always been the home. Right. The Bad Batch, they were in Camino for so long, but yeah. that's a good way to take us into this episode, because this episode is mostly, let's find the ship. Um, right. So, yeah, do you want to give a, a quick summary? Sure. Um, some kids stole their ship at the end of episode nine, and now they want to go find it. The The kid, who turns out to be Benny, uh, has disabled the tracker, but Gonky can apparently be tracked by um, – Omega has this idea, and then they, they succeed with that, and they rig up a little – speeder to to get them there they track gonky they find benny with gonky who wants to disassemble gonky uh the same way that mako benny's boss um wants to disassemble the ship to sell it for parts basically right Uh, it turns out that mako is running this ipsium mine and keeping all the profits for himself and 
giving the workers what seemed like scraps, basically, mm-hmm. uh, having them compete against each other. And ultimately, the Bad Batch get the ship back, but uh, Benny double-crosses them, and Omega's dangled over a, a chasm, and um, Benny gets everybody to turn on Mako because he, he like shows them the truth. He's like, oh, he's been actually just holding all the profits for himself. Mako said the profits are going down, but really the profits are going up. None of this has anything to do with anything going on in the real world. And, <laughs> <laughs> um, and for me, the kind of highlight at the end in terms of the plot is Mako tells his droid to basically just drop Omega off a chasm. Hunter fires some grappling thing and is about to swing across to go um, catch Omega and Omega like grabs the droid and like backflips off of the platform mm-hmm. knowing that Hunter will like time it perfectly to catch her yeah. and and they all live happily ever after. I, I, I wrote down as I watched that that's the ultimate trust fall. Exactly. <laughs> you know, it's it it's actually very kind of like Batman and Robin. Yeah. <laughs> in a lot of yeah. ways, you know. Um like with the grapple gun and like, you know, falling off a trapeze kind of thing, but like mm-hmm. actually trusting your your new family and whatever. Yeah. Um so I I found that moment very nice. Also like super badass. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> to be like, yeah, I'm just going to I'm just going to jump off of this thing because I I know someone's going to catch me and then I'm going to toss the droid and, you know. And it, it it was incredibly badass, and I think it tells me a lot about the relationships and how they've grown, because I think if that happened in season one, Hunter and, and a couple of the others, Wrecker probably just thinks it's cool, but the rest of them are like, how could you do that? How did you know I was going to catch you kind of thing? You right. know, and and by now they're all just like, yeah, we, we know you trust us. We trust you. We knew it was going to work, um, which I, I really yeah. appreciate. <laughs> Yeah, and it's it's the to me that's a bit of a payoff on the episode nine kind of tension within the family, basically, and yeah. kind of coming back around to like, no, we're we trust each other to do our own jobs, right, and thus we can cooperate in a really uh, seamless fashion. You know, the yeah. same way like Wrecker and um, Tech then shoot the droids in this Ipsium mine. Where if they miss, like, they'll probably blow everyone up. Yeah. But Wrecker's like, we don't miss. And they don't miss, you know, <laughs> the, at least here. <laughs> it's so true. And I feel like there's one line in this, which I thought was a really nice way of kind of like paying off the tension between Tech and Omega in the last episode, which is that she's the one who has the idea of, well, even if the ship doesn't have the tracker device anymore, Gonk, our droid, does, which... By the way, like they, they point out that Gonk is basically just a walking battery, and so Benny doesn't get it. But all of them are like, "No, he's." I mean, he has become the the pet of the Bad Batch, which I just adore. But also, when she's the one who comes up with that idea, Tech is just like with no like irony or anything, just like, "Oh yeah, that's a really good idea. Let's do that." Yeah, and I just thought that, that there was that moment that was really nice, and there's also the moment when Benny is kind of like sprawled back on the floor. And Omega is standing over him, looking badass in her uniform and and holding her, you know, uh, laser bow thing. And that, like, until now, everyone who Omega has connected with and met has been bigger than her and has seen her as kind of, like, small and insignificant. And then maybe she turns out to actually be much more than that. Benny meets her as someone intimidating. And I Mm. just thought that was such a—we haven't seen— 
her have that kind of a connection with someone where she's the one holding the gun. She's the one who looks more competent. And I just really like that, like as a further evolution for her character. Yeah, for sure. You know, and and I mean, I think a lot of it's age related, right? Yeah. Like she's however old, but like, um, you know, here Benny is around the same age. Right. But right. I mean, uh, but but she's clearly the more um, militarily kind of accomplished, you know. He, yeah. I, I think the whole thing about like stealing isn't a skill. I'm like, mm, aren't you all stealing stuff just like all the time? <laughs> <laughs> Look. Every D&D, every role-playing campaign I've ever done, there's some form of, like, stealth or whatever it is. Yeah. Or thievery itself is a is a skill written down on the character sheet. It is. It is. And I'm just like, I feel like you should know this, you know? Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, it's like, okay, fine. And uh, and I did, in, I did enjoy their interactions, and I think that's a really good point about uh, the, the kind of first impression, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. For sure. I did some checking, and as far as I can tell... Uh, both my own research, but also from checking other people's comments, both Benny and Mako are new characters. And mm-hmm. I had a moment when it was Benny in a helmet, or we were just seeing him from the back, where yeah. I was like, oh, who is this going to be? Is this going to be like a young Boba right. Fett? Is this going to be like someone else who like we kind of know? And I was a little disappointed that it wasn't someone like that. But uh, yeah, Benny, Benny is a fun new character. Mako is a fun character. Um, not the best, uh, you know, prosthetics, uh, missing a limb representation that I've ever seen. But I, I, my people don't all have to be heroes. I'm happy to have, you know, someone who just has a your standard metal arm that can do weird, evil things and yeah. gets knocked off a, a bridge when he's supposed to get knocked off a bridge. So, yeah. I, I, I mean, I feel fun. like Return of the Jedi had the two pivotal, you know, the the hero and the the anti-hero who had the heroic turn. Both are maybe, you know, they started off with some good prosthetic representation. Yeah, yeah, that's for you sure. Know? That's for so, sure. <laughs> so they, they they get a little bit more of a birth where it's like, okay, at least you had the one, so now you can have the other. If you only have the other, then it's like, yeah, you know, kind of like how I was saying about Moon Knight, you know? Yeah, exactly. Where um, it's just like, yeah, you you gotta have some positive representation representation before you can have uh, the negative representation. But I'm with you though, also on like, you know, Mako, like he's big and and ugly and has. You know, a, a, not just like a prosthetic, but a kind of like scary, ugly looking prosthetic. Yeah. And so he's the bad guy. And it's like, eh, all right. Okay. <laughs> eh, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. Um, um, I, I will say, I thought you were going to go the opposite direction with that, though. Okay. Where it was like nice that it was, oh, not not like, I, yeah, I also assumed like, oh, who's it going to be? It's clearly got to be someone we've met before because it's always someone we met before but it's like oh no they're they're actually introducing some new characters oh yeah you know? that's true that's cool and and then at the end he's like if you ever need a thief for your D party you know who to call <laughs> which so i feel like that I will have, happen eventually like, watched a television show before i'm fairly certain they will need a thief right. somewhere in the last big big set of episodes exactly like two episodes ago literally they were just trying to steal something right yeah. they were just trying to steal the proof <laughs> so true it's so true and you're right like i I, it wasn't just it was most like i think if i just started with it being that person it's the way they did the slow reveal was what made me think that for a second but i think you're right overall i'm glad it was especially i'm glad yeah that mako wasn't like an offshoot of black sun or of like you know the pikes or someone like that because i am like i sort of feel like with andor and with the bad batch it's like we've got this 20-year history between the prequels and the original trilogy and we're now kind of like 
pushing towards the middle from both directions, you know? Sure, yeah. And it's funny seeing that, like, you know, a lot of Andor is about, by the time of Andor, most people have given up on their ideas that the Empire is ever good, that most people see that there's still all this corruption out there. At this point, a lot of people believe it still. Palpatine mm-hmm. is, he's making people believe that, like, oh, yeah, no, don't worry, I'm fighting the corruption, I'm taking care of things. And, and I love that Mako as this, like, microcosm of that, you know, because he does seem friendly. He does seem like, oh, hey, kid, way to go. And, like, yeah, I'm going to, like, you know, screw you around a little bit. I'll have the first sip of this water ration. But then, yeah, I'm going to give you this bottle. I'm going to take care of you. And, oh, by the way, then I'm going to give this one bowl of soup to everyone and let them fight over it. Um, like, it's – he's cl- – I think we as the audience are see through him fairly quickly – but I also understand how someone in those kind of desperate situations, like they don't see Mako as just this evil person until someone really points it out. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I, I wouldn't even say see through quickly, but like just like that he's entirely transparent, right? In the, the yeah. first time he shows up, I'm like, oh, that's the villain. But, <laughs> you know, and and it's I wouldn't say it was really frustrating that Benny didn't uh, more quickly see through that and i was like kind of surprised that he had any loyalty towards mako at all Mm. but having said that you know i i think it's a really good demonstration of how you know the abused often will enable the abuser in their abuse of of others and how you know oppression is often built by the oppressed as they're being oppressed, right? Yeah. It's like power comes from the bottom a lot of the time. It's not, you know, Mako can't single-handedly force everybody to do what they're doing. He's yeah. he's coercing it, right? By he controls the the means of production basically. He controls uh the the, the resources, but not sh- purely through force because i mean yes he does have these droids that can you know mm-hmm. enforce his will on a physical level but like he's so outnumbered by everybody else that right. as soon as they decide to ride up rise up against him like that that's pretty much it um yeah. yes the bad batch are there as well but i liked that it was basically they figured out what was going on and then they turned on him and then it was just like gg you know yeah. like it's over i i think that's really true and i think uh, I- I assume this is what you meant, but I just want to kind of make it further clear. Like we talk about, you know, that the oppressed wind up giving power to the oppressors. That's not victim blaming at all. That's like in that system. That's the that's that's kind of what is often needed for survival. And it's not that that becomes the origin of the cause of it. Um, But I think you're right. It's something I was thinking about, especially after because I just rewatched The Wire, which is one of my favorite TV shows. And I know one you really love as well, where. You often see the corner boys in these organizations where they're being treated really badly, but they're also getting scraps. And I, I mm-hmm. to me, what the thought that kept occurring to me is like in a world where everybody is kicking you all the time, if some people pat your head after they kick you, that feels a lot better, even though you're still getting kicked all the time. And that's kind of what I – to me, that's why I saw Benny being loyal to Mako to some extent. Is like he's used to a world where, yeah, no one's just going to give you water rations. No one's just going to give you food. But here at least, if you do a good job, there's a chance that you'll get some kind of reward and that Mako comes off as friendly in a way that seems transparent to us but does feel like I could get why to Benny and the rest of them. They sort of felt like, well, this guy is better than anybody else out there. Yeah, I mean – from the outside, I think it's easy to just look at it and be like, 
I mean, Benny's a fool, you know, but when you think about, well, what are his actual experiences? Like, does he have any understanding that things could potentially be be different? Right. Right. Has he seen any alternative? And I think the answer is probably no. Uh, I I do find it like like we don't really know the whole backstory of this thing. They might have explained it a little bit more in in nine Mm -hmm. uh, when when they were going to the to the mine. But. I, I'm not totally clear. Like, why isn't the Empire on this planet, like, extracting resources? Are they just buying them from Mako, basically? And they're like, ah, eh, whatever. You can just do whatever he wants there. Like, why is it all kids? You know, what yeah. happened to all the adults? I don't know. It's it's unclear, right? But, yeah, I mean, and in, in terms of, like, victim blaming or whatever, like, yeah, I'm not saying that, like people are responsible for their own oppression. But I do think that very often it's the oppressed who end up perpetuating that oppression by not seeing an alternative is often what it is, right? It's that, and I think there usually is an alternative. Sometimes that alternative is to fight against the oppression and die, which doesn't seem like a super attractive alternative, you know? Um, But just that kind of systems become entrenched because particularly like you see the other kids, the older kids, right? Like uh, Draco or Drake or however Mm -hmm. they say it in the English version. I don't know. Um, (laughs) But like, you know, the the dude with the neck tattoo that, um, although they all kind of had like, like Benny had smaller neck tattoos, I guess he couldn't afford like more more about that. But yeah, right, right. Like what's, what's going on? What's, what's, what is this? Um, But yeah, it, uh, you know, the, like the bigger kids kind of are pushing the smaller kids around and they get more scraps Right. Like, ooh, a whole bowl of soup yeah. just for you. You know, you even got a spoon with it. And you're like, <laughs> nah, I don't need the spoon. But like, yeah, it, it's it ends up being this chain of of, um, you know, everybody kind of stepping on the person below them. Yeah. And 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 it's just, you know, when when you're living somewhere that there aren't readily available alternatives It's not that there are literally no alternatives, but there's there's nothing that like sticks out as like, oh, yeah, that. Yeah, I'll just do that instead. Easy game. You know, it's not yeah. like that. Um, so, yeah, it, it's – it is interesting. Like, what if the Empire came in there when Mako was still there and got rid of Mako and then is like, oh, we'll give you all the food you want. Just keep mining this Ipsium and don't have mm-hmm. any original thoughts of your own. Like, that's basically not that different from, you know, the the labor camp in Andor – Except oh, yeah. maybe you're not getting fried on the floor, but there's probably a lot of worker accidents in that Ipsium mime, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but then those people might be like, "Yeah, I support the Empire because they came and they got rid of the ty- the local tyrant, and I can go join the academy if I want and, yeah. and stuff like that, you know." And and I think you can see how when this is the local situation in various places, um, some you know galactic empire can roll in and actually be seen in a favorable light. Even when they're not really doing any better. Yeah, I think that's very true. You know, it's the. I think it's easy to think that when dictators take over, it's just because everyone's afraid they'll get shot. And what's a lot harder to accept is that, you know, as, as Padme says, democracy dies in thunderous applause. A lot of the times when strong leaders take over in Star Wars and in our own world, it's because there's so much chaos that people are like, oh, okay, this part, you know, it's the, make the trains run on time, make make food happen again, make, right. you know, save our economy. Um, and I think 
to me, it makes sense that the Empire hasn't gotten to this one yet, because I think as, as we show in Andor, 15 years later, they're still just getting to some places, you know? Right. And, like, there's a lot of places. It's a big galaxy, basically. Yeah. And yeah. and and this is more headcanon, but I think it makes sense. I think on some level, there's some awareness of, sure, we could take over everything right now. Or we could let the chaos and, you know, destitution of the fall of the Republic go on for a little while longer so that when we do get to places, they're even more grateful for us, you know? Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, playing the long game. Yeah, exactly. And and again, I think that's the kind of thing that makes me like this show so much is if it was, let's say if episode one, the Bad Batch got, they fell through a wormhole and so all their adventures were happening in a place that had nothing to do with the rest of the Star Wars galaxy, even though it is still the episodic thing, I think I would like this show a lot less. I think it's that it's almost like their adventures themselves are interesting, the character growth is interesting, but also they are tour guides because they're going to all these places I want to visit and we're getting to see through their eyes what's happening in all these places. What is the early years of the Empire look like? What are the early years of people starting to think about the rebellion look like? And I just think that that's a big part of what to me makes it so interesting. Yeah. And I'm not sure whether I share or don't share that feeling, but it definitely I do feel like. At points, it feels like a little bit like we're in reruns. Yeah, that's fair. But at other points, it feels like, no, this is actually kind of illuminating um, parts of of this setting that haven't really had a light shown on them, you know. And and it is kind of telling a period of time that hasn't – certainly hasn't been told much on screen. Yeah. And and I think that's cool. In some ways, I I feel like it is – very close to the original Clone Wars show, like much more so than it is to Rebels or other shows like that, in that it is. The Clone Wars is very episodic in a lot of ways, Mm -hmm. uh, in part because the episodes happen out of order, which is problematic, (laughs) we could say some things about. And there's definitely some episodes in where, to me, I don't think an episode that doesn't focus entirely on advancing the main plot is filler. To Mm -hmm. me, the word filler means... You wrote 16 good episodes, but you needed a 22-episode run, so there's a couple that feel a little phoned in, or like, we're just doing something again to have an episode to fill out the season. Like, and, and it's not easy to tell those things necessarily, but like, the fact that this is a 12, uh, 10 episode or 12-episode season instead of 22, or however long the Clone Wars was, I just also think helps a lot with the, like, things feeling like filler and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, it's 16, though. It's each, okay, yeah, that's a good each season of the Bad Batch is sixteen episodes, and episode one of the first season was a movie. So yeah, you that's know, true. it it definitely is. Um, it, it's a fair amount of. It's enough that I think you run the risk of having episodes that feel like filler episodes because you know it's like, well, how many good ideas are you going to come up with? You know, right. um, but at the same time, like they're. There was – I don't know what the actual production schedule was, but there's been – you know, it was more than a year between season one and season two. And season one of The Bad Batch was well more than a year after the final season of Clone Wars. So there was plenty of time for people to come with, up with ideas of, you know, what types of stories they wanted to tell mm-hmm. in this format. Yeah. So, that's you know, and I agree. Like if you tried to come up with another six ideas, it's like, well, that's that's harder, you know. But like yeah. even, like Sherlock season one and season two, like 
the middle epi- – each one's three episodes, and the second episode of each season feels like you could call it a filler episode to me. Yeah. You know? It's like it's just clearly not as good as the first and third episodes of said <laughs> season, and it doesn't really have to, anything to do with anything else very much, you yeah. know? So, you know, it's I think it's a, a bit of a subjective term, but mm-hmm. but I hear you. And I, and I, I agree that the that the Bad Batch feels like it has less of the thing you're describing, whatever you want to call it, than the Clone Wars does. For yeah. Sure. Yeah, I think it's a fair way to put it. I think that's about where I would wrap up for the main episode. We are going to have the special bonus feature for the patrons. Um, but Paul, is there any other last things you want to say about this episode or just the Clone Wars, uh, the, the Bad Batch in general so far? Yeah, there's there's two main things. Um, one is like ship safety in Star Wars. Like lock your ship. Like at least they didn't have like the ramp down. But uh-huh. it's just amazing how much people take this stuff for granted. And and finally to see it have some consequence, I guess is kind of nice. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, I, I, I mean, I we know- had this rant in either Boba Fett or. Mandalorian when those ships got stolen. I think both of their ships got stolen at various points. So. Mandalorian season two, where Boba Fett gets the armor out of the ship. Oh, yeah. I think we had some words about that. The tragedy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't the worst thing that happened to that ship in that episode, though. No. Um, and then number two, or the, the last thing I wanted to mention was there's this moment of Wrecker looking at the little doll with the floppy ears mm-hmm. when they get their stuff back at the end of this episode. And I just thought that was really nice because um, I'm not sure whether it was Danielle or Aaron, but one of them mentioned that that was on the ship, you know, along with Gonky. But like that, you know, Omega's room is on the ship and like, you know, she has that doll, but that doll was Wrecker's doll originally. Right. And so it was like really nice to see him kind of still having that that attachment, you know, to because it's like they have so few things to be attached to. Right. To to feel attachment towards. I think you're right. I think especially with Wrecker. We, you're right. We haven't gotten as much of his big, like, a character arc episode with him in this mm-hmm. season. He had some in season one. But I think he's the character who in many ways has grown the most, or at least as much as anyone, particularly in that I think he's no longer the child of the group. He was right. very much the child of the group. Yeah. Now he's not. He's an uncle. And I think he's like, you know, he's the uncle who'll be like, let's go smoke outside the house. I'm not going to be the responsible <laughs> one with you. Right, right. Um, but yeah, he's become a lot more mature in the way he deals with Omega. And yeah, so having that moment with the doll was just a really nice, like, yeah, he's still that big kid. Yeah, so. exactly. All right. Well, Paul, thank you so much for uh, sticking your head up outside the uh, hibernation cave for a little bit. Uh, what is happening in the world of the Zen Madman and the Voice of a Secret and uh, Giant Panda and all the other aliases you've gone through that I have now confused people by mentioning online? Uh, now that you are not a regular co-host of podcasts, uh, what is happening in poker? What's happening in chess? What's happening with the Zen Madman? Yeah, uh, I'm playing a lot of poker and a lot of chess mm-hmm. and studying both. And very soon I might have a schedule on Twitch where I'm doing those things and perhaps taking five minute breaks every half hour with some, some Tai Chi and yoga mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But, uh, so, you know, you can always find me at Zen Madman on Twitch, um, on Twitter. I've been tweeting way more than I need to be tweeting, but, um, a lot of chess positions, occasionally jokes, occasionally very strange dreams. Um, I, I actually, before watching this episode, I, I had a dream that half of my car was stolen. Yeah, uh, I remember wh- you telling me about that. That was that yeah. was an odd one. 
Yeah, which actually feels a little bit like what happened in this show. So <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. Um, yeah, and then then uh, I'll, I'll probably be making some some YouTube videos again soon as well. Uh, probably mostly poker and chess, but who knows what else? Awesome, awesome. So and just Zen Nine Man, all the places. We'll be talking to Paul more about poker and chess in the bonus content that uh, is for patrons. For everyone else, though, of course, thank you so much for tuning in. If you want to become a patron, just go to patreon.com and search for The Ethical Panda. The Ethical Panda is kind of the uh, over over name that I use for all the podcasting I do. There you can find ways to support this podcast, Superhero Ethics, and the other projects I'm involved with. It helps keep the lights on. It helps us keeping able to get uh, great people involved. Uh, and most importantly, in doing so, you'll get ad-free content. You won't have to listen to ads when you get your episodes. And you'll get the bonus content. We're having a lot of great fun creating it. If that's not your thing, though, of course, thank you for listening. There's other great ways to support us. Give us a five-star review or whatever star review you want with some comments about how we can, what you love about the podcasts, what you don't love, how we can make them better. Do that on iTunes or any other places you find podcasts. And of course, you can find this podcast, my other ones, Superhero Ethics, and all the other stuff that we're doing by going to theethicalpanda.com. There you'll find all the podcasts. You'll also find all the ways to contact us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, email. Let us know what you think. We love the conversations. We'd love to know what you think. We'd love to hear your thoughts and all this different stuff. We are getting ready for the uh, Mandalorian Season 3. We'll probably be doing a review episode of that pretty soon. We're continuing some great stuff about The Last of Us. I have some new stuff coming out soon on superhero ethics about the DC slate. Uh, we did a great episode on uh, Dooku and how he's remembered. That's something I probably actually will also ask Paul about in the bonus content. All sorts of great stuff like that. So please check all that out. TheEthicalPanda.com. Check out all the things Paul is doing. Think about becoming a patron. And most importantly, have a great day. Thanks.